Hi, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this broadcast. And you know my hope. My hope and my heart is that you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, enlighten, equip, and then lovingly, but gently and persistently get you out there in the marketplace of ideas. But before you go and start to listen, I want to share with you what this month's truth tool is. It is the Christmas season. So all around us, we see the symbols that remind us of the greatest story ever told. And one of the main players in the story we talk about at Christmas are angels. But we really don't know much about them. We're confused. We've let Renaissance artists somehow define them as chubby little cherubs or somehow they're sitting on a cloud playing a harp. But angels are a whole lot more. They are powerful entities. That's why every single time when they made an appearance in Scripture, the first words are, fear not. But these are ministering spirits sent from God to protect us, to guard us, to give messages to us, and they are still very active today. The book I've chosen is Angels by Tim Chester, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. It'll answer all the questions you have about these angelic beings and the role that they play in God's creation. Ask for your copy of Angels when you give a gift of any amount by calling 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. Or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. You can't miss the cover. It has wings on it. Click on the picture, make your donation, and we'll send you, as my way of saying thank you for financially supporting the program, a copy of Angels, When Heaven Meets Earth. When you're on the website, just take a moment and look down one paragraph below the Truth Tool, and you'll get a description of what it means to be a partial partner. These are our dear friends who give every single month at a level of their own choosing. In addition to getting whatever the Truth Tool is for every month you're a partial partner, you'll also get a weekly newsletter that includes an audio piece from me. So if you want to be a monthly giver, setting the level of giving at your own amount, or whether or not you just want this month's Truth Tool, all of that is available to you at 877-JANET-58, 877-JANET-58, or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now please, enjoy the broadcast. Friends, this is Janet Parshall. Thanks so much for choosing to spend the next hour with us. Today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines are not open. But thanks so much for being with us, and enjoy the broadcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely next... rare safety move by a nation. 17 years of Palestinians and Israelis Hello, friends. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. I am so glad that you're going to spend the hour with me, but because I care for you, I'm going to be real honest. This might not be the most comfortable hour of radio you've ever listened to, but it just might be one of the most important hours of radio you've ever listened to. How often on this program do we talk about the persecuted church? regularly. You know that if you listen to this program on a routine basis. And we do it for a couple of reasons. Number one, because biblically, when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. And sometimes we fail to remember that. We're also commended in scripture to bear one another's burdens. We're to pray for those who have been led away in chains. And it's important for us to understand that there is only one name under heaven whereby men will be saved. Whether you live in Beirut or whether or not you live in Beloit, Wisconsin or Beijing, China, one name under heaven. The way to God is through his son, Jesus Christ. So whether you live in the Far East, the Middle East, whether or not you live in South America or North America, there is one God 
and he has made himself known through his son, Jesus Christ. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Now, the second reason we talk about the persecuted church on this program with a regular basis is when you decide, yes, Lord, I am a sinner. I am absolutely flawed. There's not one righteous, no, not one. And I truly believe you are exactly who you said you are, that you are the unblemished lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And that if I confess my sins, you would be faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I want you to come into my life as savior. And as you mature in him, hopefully that relationship will deepen and he will also become Lord where Jesus is your everything. And you desire more than anything to be transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. But here's what I know. In the United States of America, when you make that choice, you're not signing a death warrant. You're not going to be, in most cases, separated from your family. You're not going to have to give up everything you ever knew or ever were. You're not going to have to worry about the hobnailed boots of government kicking open the door and dragging you off to prison because you said, yes, Lord. Or because you sang and meant it to the marrow of your bones. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. So we talk about this so that the sleepy American church will wake up an understanding that we have been invited to join in the suffering of our Savior, that we follow a crucified Christ, that he paid it all, but it might cost us everything to follow him. And so in order to grow up and be strong, mature, muscular, courageous Christians, hearing stories about the persecuted church are a must. So this hour, we're going to do that for the entire hour. First and foremost, I thank God for technology in the 21st century because in ways I don't understand, I am here in Washington, D.C., and I am able to talk to Peter Yasek, who is all the way in the Czech Republic. My, this technology makes it a small world. But what unites us together is that Peter and I will be spending eternity together because of what Jesus Christ did for us and how through his imputed righteousness, we know that our name has now been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God. We also love Voice of the Martyrs. We talk with Todd Nettleton on a regular basis and so grateful for his work. Many of you, I hope, get the Voice of the Martyrs monthly magazine and that you're praying consistently in your private devotions, in your small group, in your Sunday school class. Pastors, particularly, I pray, you're preaching about the persecuted church from your pulpit. But in 2002, that's when Peter decided that he would become a part of Voice of the Martyrs. He wanted to help persecuted Christians in hostile areas all around the globe. And today, he serves serves as VOM's global ambassador, traveling the world to not only talk about the work of VOM, but to talk about his experience and what it was like to be imprisoned with ISIS. That's the name of his brand new book, and in it he talks about faith in the face of evil. Peter, the warmest of welcomes. Thank you for the gift of your time. It is later there than it is here in America, so you even stayed up late to talk to us, and I thank you so much for being with us. No problem, and good afternoon to America. I want to talk about you growing up in what used to be a part of the former Soviet bloc. We used to call it Czechoslovakia. Tell me about your mom and dad, and tell me about how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I grew up in a, a pastor's family um, as a fourth, uh, the youngest uh, child. And uh, growing up under communist persecution was definitely not easy. You know, and that was uh, something that I was aware of since I was uh, a child. And But, you know, when I was a freshman in, in the high school, you know, I came home one day and I realized uh, that both of my parents was, were missing. 
and they were both arrested at the uh, same time but different locations and uh, they were uh, interrogated and uh, you know I, I was kind of scared, you know, because, you know, suddenly I came home and there was no one at home. I was the only one, uh, the only child at that time at home. And uh, later on, when uh, my parents were released one by one, you know, my father went to his uh, library because he was kind of seeing me being scared by all of that, what was happening. And he brought me a book that I consider the most important book after Bible in my life. And that was the Richard Wombrand's book uh, in God's Underground. And he said, mm. just the one sentence, read this book, it will encourage your faith. And that actually, that's actually what happened. Because, you know, when I started to read about Richard's uh, torture, brainwashing, beatings, uh, and seeing that the Lord was with him in all of that, that actually gave me as a young uh, you know, freshly baptized believer, because, you know, I, growing up in a Christian family, you know, it doesn't mean you can inherit, you know, you can inherit a lot of from your parents, and, you know, good, good upbringing and uh, living. I really was grateful that I grew up in a Christian family, but we have to be born into the kingdom. So, and that's what I did when I was about 15 years old, when I met this very, made this very, uh, conscious um, commitment that I dedicated my life to Christ. And, yes. you know, in fact, this presentation came very early, right after that. So I would say that all of that was part of the long preparation for yes. what I was supposed to go through later on. Wow. And what you went through, Peter. Again, I'm so glad we have the entire hour to hear your story. Peter Yasik is with me all the way from the Czech Republic. His book is called Imprisoned with Isis, a stunningly powerful story of what it means to follow Jesus. Back after this. Just about everybody is fascinated by angels, but we often fail to let the Bible tell us who they really are. That's why I've chosen angels as this month's truth tool. Learn more about these ministering spirits who are sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Ask for your copy of Angels when you give a gift of any amount in the market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. We have the privilege, and I count it as such, to spend the hour with Peter Yasik. Peter is with Voice of the Martyrs. He travels the globe trying to get the church to wake up, Church Capital C Universal, to the persecution that our brothers and sisters face globally. And he also uses the platform that the Lord has given him to talk about his experience. Now, I want you to not miss the paradox here. So, Peter, your dad gives you a copy of Richard Verbrand's book about what it means to be tortured for Christ and what he went through, what his wife went through. And, Peter, I have to tell you, it would be so easy if you were a teenager to read that. Your dad says it will enrich your walk with the Lord. It'll deepen your faith. But it could have done exactly the opposite. You could have read that book and you could have said, I'm not interested. I'll just stay on the outside. I'll serve locally here, but I'm not interested in going anywhere where I might end up in a prison cell like Richard did. More importantly, your dad also, which is stunning to me, teaches you what it's like to be interrogated. You didn't have a clue at that point how much you were going to need to know that when you were sitting in a prison in Sudan. 
You know, I don't think that my father was deliberately teaching me. He was just sharing, you know, his experience with his wife, with my mom, you know, and just hearing to, uh, their conversation was very, uh, you know, a steep learning curve for me, you know, what uh, for what was supposed to come in the future. You know, later on when I was... Uh, I finished my high school and I went to the university, you know, and I shared Christ with my fellow students. Of course, I was, uh, I realized that I was monitored by secret police, you know, later on with my brother and my sister, you know, we used even the local church to evangelize, you know, by, because my sister, either I had two sisters, so both of them played uh, organ. So they were actually playing in the church and we were with my brother standing in the door and just uh, sharing the Christ with those who entered just uh, on a nice sunny day, you know, just listening uh, the nice music coming out of the church. But, you know, later on I was sharing Christ with my fellow students, and that was what actually brought me into the viewfinder of the secret police. But, you know, I did not have uh, this experience uh, uh, being interrogated until um, much later, you know, that came in my life. But, yes. uh, of course, you know, in 1989, you know, our country got the freedom back, you know, after 41 years of communism in our country, we eventually, you know, after the so-called Velvet Revolution, we were free. And, you know, I remembered, uh, you know, the times when my parents were secretly receiving Bibles that were uh, brought secretly into Czechoslovakia, into the communist country. You know, I remember my first Bible was actually brought by the courageous Dutch people who brought it, uh, you know, into Czechoslovakia at that time. And so suddenly when we are free, you know, we decided that we have to do something for those who are still being persecuted. And that was the initiation, you know. We contacted the, the uh, you know, the German mission because, you know, that book that I read uh, when I was a high school student in God's Underground, that was actually written in German. I was fluent in German at that time. So uh, through the German uh, office, we got connected to the whole family of the voices of martyrs around the world, from Canada, literally, to New Zealand, to Europe. Mm. And for us, I can say that I felt it, all of us, as a great privilege you know, to pay back maybe what we have received once when we were helped and then we, that we could help uh, others who were still under this uh, persecution, you know. And uh, in one sense, you know, persecution I always viewed as something natural uh, for a Christian, you know, not something unusual. It is something uh, fully natural because the Lord mm. Jesus said, this to his followers. And that was always on my mind, you know. And even when I go back to the fact, you know, when my parents got arrested and being interrogated, I remember that in one sense, uh, even though there was still kind of fear, at the same time with this uh, sort of fear, there was a very special joy. I could not describe it, but that's the same joy that maybe later on I read in Acts 5.41 when the disciples were uh, first for in the history, physically persecuted, physically beaten, that they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer mm. for the name of Christ. And that was something that I remember from those uh, from that time, you know, that there was this special joy inside me, even though it was surrounded with maybe the fear what was supposed to come. Wow. What you're saying is so crucial and so important and so 
foreign to American ears in particular, Peter. I'm part of the American church, so I stand in this group as well. But I think we have this this failed idea that here in the States, you come to Christ and everything is wonderful, and it will be eventually. But there is the absolute idea of suffering that's not part of that thinking, that suffering catches you by surprise, that suffering is the rare occurrence as opposed to commonality of the Christian experience when fiery trials come. It says not if, but when they come. And yet so often, and we hear this through Todd and other voices from VOM, is that when you travel the globe, Christians expect, just like you so beautifully articulated, that suffering will be a part of the Christian experience. Why is there a schism between so many Christians globally about suffering and what we think about suffering here? Yeah, it's, of course, it is nice to hear that when you become a Christian, you know, you will become healthy, wealthy, happy, and everything will be all right, and whatever you ask for, you will receive it right now. But that's not the Christianity that I find myself in, in mm. the Bible. The Lord Jesus was preparing his followers that they will be brought before religious or secular authorities because of his name. They will be betrayed by their relatives or friends or parents. And, but he never guarantees uh, to us that we will be delivered from all of that because he continues and then he says, some of you will be killed. You know, and you look at the, what Apostle Paul was teaching, you know, in 2 Timothy 3.12, and I find this very challenging for today's world, is that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that's yes. something that I was teaching others uh, you know, I was encouraging many believers who are even faithfully praying for a persecuted church around the world. So how could I be surprised, you know, when I got this, well, I would call it, maybe should you be surprised, but I would call it a privilege, not only wow. to help the persecuted church, not only to let bring me stop you their there. stories to the Western world. But wow, let me stop you there, Peter. We'll pick it up exactly at that point when we return. We are visiting with Peter Yasek, who joins us from the Czech Republic. Thank you, God, for that technology so that we can connect and we can hear his story all across the globe. He's written the book, Imprisoned with ISIS, Faith in the Face of Evil. It is his story. Raised as the son of a pastor, given Richard Vermbrad's book as a young teenager, he understands what so many here in the United States don't understand, which is persecution is a part of our walk with Christ, and it is a privilege to be able to join in the fellowship of his suffering. So God calls him to oversee the work of VOM, Voice of the Martyrs, in Africa, and he travels there and represents VOM, and there's so many stories in this book, by the way, beautifully written book, that even the gift of one hour of Peter's time, I cannot tell, but you will have to read the book, and they are absolutely stunning, gripping, illustratively important stories as well. So, He's been with VOM in Africa since 2002. Peter, in 2015, you traveled to Khartoum, Sudan. We are all over the board in Sudan. Sudan splinters into two countries. We signed the Sudanese Peace Act. You have sort of a Muslim domination in one part of the country. You're supposed to have a free Sudan in the other part of the country. It's all over the board. When you're there in 2015, what is the political status of Sudan? You know, I was uh, visiting just, uh, you know, the northern Sudan because, you know, when the persecution uh, from the Muslims on Christians uh, stopped in uh, southern Sudan, 
you know, after signing the uh, comprehensive peace agreement in 2005, and then six years later, after the secession of the Southern Sudan, you know, VOM has one thing uh, and one policy that we only help Christians. Uh, we are called, and that was actually the legacy that we received from Richard Grunbrand in countries where Christians are actively persecuted. And even though the situation in South Sudan uh, is not easy even today because of some tribal conflicts, you Mm -hmm. know, we are carefully monitoring the situation and we only focus on countries where Christians are actively persecuted for their faith. And that actually was after we have uh, gradually stepped out from the South Sudan, we focus on the Northern Sudan and especially on areas like uh, you know, Blue Nile area or Nuba Mountains, where Christians were at that time massively persecuted by the North Sudanese army. And that actually brought me also to one conference in October 2015, when I met with some of the leaders from Northern Sudan and from maybe literally all denominations uh, at that time. And I heard compelling stories of Christian individuals, uh, especially Muslim background believers, or even the whole congregation that are experiencing the persecution there. And that was the moment when I decided that in my very busy travel schedule, I felt like I needed to visit Khartoum for at least a few days just to document the persecution, uh, or, you know, the demolished churches, you know, or, you know, to help one a young Muslim background believer student who, because of his new face, almost got, got killed, but he survived, but he was seriously burned in his face and in his chest and in his hands. And I decided to bring him some financial help uh, and to document his injury so that we could help him in a better way. So that was what brought me, you know, to the point. And of course, I carefully planned the trip. Uh, but, uh, you know, you as the leaders of my book will find out, uh, and that's what I always like to emphasize, that the Lord was in control the whole time. Mm-hmm. He was actually preparing mm-hmm. me for the persecution in a kind of supernatural way, even two and a half years before uh, the actual doors of the cell uh, in the prison, I uh, got shut uh, after me. Yes, yes, and you write about that in the book, and how God even can use dreams to prepare us for what he has planned for us. In a heart-stopping fashion, you write about being at the airport, you have your three boarding passes, and about less than 48 hours, you hope to be home with your wife, and you're standing in the line, and you feel a hand on your shoulder, and you're told to follow some authorities. And from that point on, you begin to tell the story in your book, Imprisoned with ISIS, of what it was like to be interrogated. You go through a series of interrogations. You write wonderfully, discerningly, giving us wisdom as we read it about how to answer a question without hurting other believers, how not to give away too much information, how to be truthful but not deceptive at the same time, not putting yourself or other Christians at risk. Long story short is... They consider you to be involved in a series of crimes. What did they supposedly charge you with? You know, after this uh, almost 24-hour interrogation, you know, uh, I was being put into the first prison when uh, where I was continued to be uh, interrogated for nearly four months. And uh, after the four months, I was actually brought before the judge. There was only the judge, interpreter, and me. And I heard the crimes for the first time, and I heard, like, uh, 
you know, maybe seven different crimes. And of course, the most important and most serious ones were the first two, espionage and uh, treason or trying to overthrow the regime in Sudan. I had no idea that you can overthrow the regime in Sudan in four days, but they, they, that's what they thought. And, <laughs> you know, for these first two crimes, I realized, and I heard it for the first time, and it was kind of challenging because I heard that I am facing a death penalty for that. And I remember that that was the moment when I started, the Lord reminded me of, uh, of the situation when the risen Lord is talking to uh, uh, Peter and is, uh, you know, asking him three times, do you love me? And when he said, please uh, look after the sheep, right? And then he, he kind of pretends and he uh, will grow older than uh, he will be actually president and he will actually, uh, you know, uh, lead. Uh, he will be led by other people to the death, but he will not lie. And that yes. was what went through my mind, you know. Uh, he thinks that, you know, I'm uh, facing a death penalty. It's quite curious. Peter, let me matter. stop you again. Forgive me. I'm so sorry. I'm up against a hard break. Let me stop you. We'll be right back after this. One of the many key players in the Christmas story are angels, but who are they? And should we still believe in them today? That's why I've chosen Angels by Tim Chester as this month's Truth Tool. Learn what we can know for sure about these heavenly messengers. Ask for your copy of Angels when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. If you are just joining us, I am so thankful that I'm able to tell you that you can download the podcast for the entire hour. Absolutely fascinating conversation with Peter Yasek, who is part of Voice of the Martyrs. He is the son of a pastor who was persecuted in communist Czechoslovakia. And God used all of that to prepare him as he joined Voice of the Martyrs in 2002, oversaw the work in Africa for 10 years. Today, he serves as VOM's global ambassador, traveling the world to talk about not only the persecuted church, but particularly to share his story about being imprisoned with ISIS. That's the title of his brand new book. You can go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org, left-hand side, two words, past programs. Click it on. You can download the podcast for this entire hour or any of the two hours we do every day going back a full year. And you will want to listen to this again, listen to it in its entirety, and then pass it on to a friend who doesn't understand what it means when we say, I surrender all, all to Jesus I surrender, I surrender all. We need to change our thinking dramatically here in the West on what it means to join in the fellowship of his suffering. Peter, you were quoting exactly where I was in my private time in the Word this morning about Jesus talking to Peter after he's been resurrected. They're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep three times, and then tells Peter, when you get older, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And he's really letting him know that his future is going to be impacting globally, missionally, 
but personally, he's going to suffer for following Jesus Christ. Let me go back to the cell. You write in such detail. I felt the coldness of the floor. I picked up the unsanitary environment. I read the expression on the face of your cellmates. You get in the cell. You're with men that are clearly followers of Islam. They question you. You're European. You're white. They guess you're a Christian. They ask you what happened. You say, I've been stopped at the airport in Khartoum. You explain to them that your computer was confiscated, your camera and your phone. And then they say, we don't have any newspapers. Tell us what's new in the news. And you start explaining to them about the massacre that took place in November in Paris. And what was their reaction? You know, that was actually my first, uh, uh, you know, realizing uh, what kind of people I was put in, in the same cell with. Uh, when I said that 129 people got killed in Paris in November 2015, which was just, uh, you know, uh, happened a few weeks before I was put into this uh, cell, they actually interrupted me and started to celebrate by shouting Allahu Akbar several minutes and rejoicing, mm-hmm. literally jumping, hugging each other for several minutes. I mean, I've seen these scenes on television, you know, whenever there was an attack on a Western embassy or Westerners or on Israel, you know, you see these uh, Islamists uh, rejoicing and celebrating and shooting in the air, you know, but seeing it live in the prison cell, I mean, that was really scary. And uh, that was the moment when I realized what kind of people I was uh, in the same cell with. And, and you know, that kind of worried me a little bit. And of course, you know, they tried at first to get as much information from me uh, that, you know, that was what I realized later on, how crafty, you know, they were in these uh, techniques to get information. But I was very cautious, you know, I never told them the true reason. But uh, later on, I realized that they were in touch with the other ISIS people uh, from other cells, you know, at that time, people may be surprised, but, uh, you know, when ISIS was uh, succeeding in Iraq and in Syria, that has inspired actually many young Muslim uh, extremists to join, spontaneously join uh, the ISIS. And, you know, being, uh, they, they were in touch, you know, and the guards were afraid of them. So they could, they were allowing them actually to go from one cell to the other and stay mm. there as long as they wanted. So they had information. You know, they knew immediately that I was not the only person who was arrested. Uh, the, the other pastors got arrested a few days after me. They had this information. So but they were actually asking me to get as much information from me. Uh, but I have to say that, you know, uh, as, as it uh, can uh, be very frightening, you know, all this experience, being uh, uh, malnutrished, being uh, heavily anemic, you know, that was happened to me through internal bleeding, you know, and experiencing the persecution from the first hand. You know, that's one thing. And I don't want the people to focus that much on that. You know, I was, uh, in the first four months, I can honestly say that I was very selfish. You know, I was praying and hoping that I will be released soon and I will be able to go home. In fact, I was even hoping that I will go for Christmas home. You know, I was arrested on December 10th. And, you know, I actually stayed in prison through the um, uh, Christmas time. And for the first time, I was not with my family. 
And uh, you know, I remember that I felt I didn't speak it out in in uh, you know in my prayers. I but I felt like sorry for myself. But I remember that at that time the Lord uh, showed me before my spiritual eyes a picture of a young Nigerian boy called Tanjuma. You know, the boy mm-hmm. that was you know almost killed. In fact, you know, the villagers when their village got attacked uh, in northern Nigeria, they already prepared a grave. They digged out a grave for him. You know, he lost the, uh, you know, uh, uh, the sight. They blinded him by gauging out one of his eyes. The other one could damage the eye nerve. You know, he was terribly, uh, horribly tortured. You know, I think that's something that it's uh, described even in my book. And I am suddenly, you know, feeling sorry for myself, but the Lord showed me his picture, the picture that I took in Nigeria, and that appeared on the cover page of the VON newsletter. And suddenly the Lord was telling me, you know, you, sooner or later you will come home, but what about this boy? You know, he will become, he will remain blind till his death. And so I started to pray, maybe praying for miracles, healing that the Lord will heal the damaged eye nerve from the other eye that still is in his uh, uh, head. And from that time, you know, I started to pray more for the presence of the church. And later mm-hmm. on, also, the, the Lord has changed the whole perspective on me being in prison. But that was in the next prison, in the, actually in the Niaba Mandela police station, where I was put after four months. Wow. So you are the persecuted church, and you're in prison, and you are praying for the persecuted church. That That is stunning to me. At one point, you get a cellmate, a Libyan, who professes to have been a personal bodyguard for Osama bin Laden. And his rage toward you, you write about in the book. Share some of that with our friends. Yeah, you know, this guy was uh, very much respected by all the ISIS people. You know, I would like to emphasize that all these ISIS, the six ISIS members that were with me in the same cell, they were actually at the age of my own children. They were young people, highly educated from various countries. And that guy, the Libyan guy that you have mentioned, you know, he uh, was enjoying the high respect from all the others because he was called a man of sword. And I thought it, at first that it was because of his, uh, uh, you know, experience with being a bodyguard uh, of Osama bin Laden. But later on, I realized that that was not the right reason for that. Only when he was transferred, you know, to the different cell, I found out from the other guys that he was one of those who, uh, you know, on the Libyan shore, in the beginning of February 2015, was beheading the 20 Coptic Egyptian Christians and one African mm. Christians that were uh, beheaded uh, at, at that time. And he was one of those. You know, I could say he, he still had the fresh human blood on his hands because that happened just a few months before we were put into the same cell in uh, this uh, Sudanese prison. And of course, he threatened me on my life as well, you know, and, uh, you know, but the Lord gave me the strength. And that's one of the things, one of the uh, first lessons, you know, that I have learned was being in prison, you know, being malnutrished. You know, I have lost 55 pounds in the first mm-hmm. three months, and I have lost half of my blood. But yet, you know, I felt what Paul talks about when he says that when I am weak, then mm-hmm. I am strong in Second Corinthians 12.10. And, you know, I was at the bottom 
of my physical or emotional strengths, and the Lord gave me the strength to share the gospel with the fellow ISIS prisoners. And not, not only to share it with the words, but also to share it with my life attitude. You know, I, I knew these words, you know, that the Lord says, whenever someone hits you on one cheek, turn the other one to him. I can tell you honestly, it was not me. It was Christ in me who was able to turn the other cheek to those who were beating me. And later on, they started to torture me with many other new ways. And they were always trying to invent new ways how they could live my life, uh, make my life more uh, you know, miserable and difficult and, and beat me and torture me. But the Lord was giving me the strength, you know. And of course, you know, the first strength that I needed was, and I prayed for, was not that, I was not that much afraid that I would die in that prison. My first uh, concern was that I may lose my sound mind because, you know, witnessing the five times per day prayers, you know, they had Qurans. I could not have the Bible for the first five months. And they were reading and reading and singing the Quran out loud. And that was something that, you know, brought me to the point, you know, that I was just, uh, you know, uh, praying for the Lord to keep my mouth sound. Wow, wow. You know, Peter, you're talking and I'm thinking as we hear you, it's one thing to read these stories in scripture. It's another to, in obedience, trust God, a promise-keeping God, to provide all your needs. And it's something to surrender to yourself, even in your most basic of human needs, so that the unsaved members of ISIS in that prison cell could see Jesus. Powerful. Back after this. Imprisoned with ISIS, it is the brand new book by Peter Yasek, and I have to tell you, in my classroom, it would be required reading. It reminds us what it means to lay down our lives for Christ. You know, you think in America, well, I'll do a couple of things here, I'll do a couple of things there, and basically my life won't change that much once I follow Jesus Christ. But when Jesus is your all and all, and you're willing to serve him no matter what, you can find yourself in a prison cell in Sudan, where you're witnessing to the former personal bodyguard of Osama bin Laden. That's a mission field, and that's exactly what Peter did. He turned that prison cell into a mission field, and he prayed and shared the gospel with his cellmates 445 days. Let that sink in, 445 days in prison. And in the book, Imprisoned with Isis, Peter, you tell time and time and time again how you knew God was there, how he gave you peace, how he put pictures before your mind, how he took your heart back to situations that gave you strength, that even in the midst of beatings, you had a profound sense of peace. <laughs> For anybody who denies the existence of God, I would challenge them to read your book and say, how else could someone have survived 445 days if there wasn't a living God who was there in your cell, helping you put one foot in front of the other and persevere. This is my last segment, and I could talk to you for hours, so let me just ask you some big questions in the hopes that my friends will read your book, Imprisoned with ISIS. How, after 445 days, were you finally released? You know, I um, have to say that I, for the first four months, I was so concerned about myself, you know, that I wanted to be released and go home. But the Lord has changed my whole perspective when 
after I was able to lead, you know, 12 Eritrean refugees in the second prison to Christ. And they opened my, that opened my spiritual eyes, and I started to use every opportunity to share the gospel with my fellow prisoners. And eventually, you know, I had a six months of wonderful prison ministry, you know, in Al-Huda uh, prison. You know, that is a huge prison with capacity, like 10,000 prisoners. And, uh, you know, I was put into the cell with 100 prisoners. And that was something that was uh, showing the Lord's uh, sovereignty in all of that. You know, many people were praying for me, and I really appreciate uh, that, that they were praying for me. Many people were signing, uh, you know, uh, letters to various Sudanese embassies around the world. You know, many people were signing the online petition. You know, there was uh, nearly half a million people that signed. Mm. But I give credit uh, to the Lord. You know, the one that we read in, for instance, in Proverbs uh, 21, 1, that the Lord is the one who is directing the heart of the king like the riverbed of the river in the direction he wants. And, you know, the same president, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, called me a criminal that needed to be punished when he spoke with the Czech ambassador, the same president issued the presidential pardon for me after yeah. I was sentenced to life imprisonment in Sudan. Doesn't it show really the sovereignty of the Lord? You know, when you think about the way how he let me go through five months of deepening my faith and especially my prayer life when I could not have the Bible. Then being in a solitary confinement for three months and uh, receiving the Bible and having the personal Bible study with the Holy Spirit as a preparation for the coming six months in Al-Huda Chapel, where I was able to preach to absolutely hopeless, desperate, and forgotten people that needed to hear the gospel. You know, I can tell you this, those six months in Al-Huda Chapel were not only the best six months of my prison life, where I could say I even put back 10 uh, or 20 pounds back uh, to my body weight, but those six months were the best six months of my life, period. I have never experienced, never seen so many people coming to Christ through my preaching, you know. And of course, the other, the other two Sudanese pastors were preaching uh, the gospel with me, and we were so joyful at the time that we stopped being concerned of how much more time we will have to spend in prison because we saw clearly that the Lord was in control and he was using it uh, this time uh, to use us to share the gospel with the fellow prisoners. That's, uh, you know, the irony. If you think that we were punished for uh, being Christians and helping Christians in Sudan, uh, eventually the Lord allowed us to serve in this prison uh, and uh, to bring many people to Christ. And that brings me, you know, again to the sovereignty of the Lord. You know, he says in Isaiah 55, 8-10, Your ways are not like my ways. Your mm -hmm. thoughts are not like my thoughts. As heaven is higher than the earth, so much higher are my ways and thoughts with you. And that is what we could clearly experience. But I would like to emphasize, and I hope that my book will encourage uh, uh, many people uh, to uh, raise awareness of the persecuted Christians around the world among the Christians living in still free countries, because we should never uh, take 
the freedom for granted, and we should always be ready uh, to not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his name. And that's exactly the words from Philippians 1.29. That's what I have learned personally in the early years from the persecuted Christians. You know, when I heard it for the first time that the persecution is a privilege, I was wondering, okay, that's their understanding of this Bible verse, but I can say that when you go through the persecution, it doesn't seem like a privilege. It seems like when it's over. But I can confirm that persecution is a privilege for Christians, as Paul says in Philippians 1.29. Peter, what a note to end on, that persecution is a privilege. That is such a wake-up call for so many Christians who who do not understand what it means to say, Lord, you're my everything. You go to prison. You're separated from your family, from your child. You are beaten. You are in horrible physical conditions. And yet we just heard you say to people listening all across America, those six months were the most impacting of your prison ministry, perhaps the most impacting of your entire walk with the Lord. How thankful we are that God has given you a platform now to tell the story, not to fear persecution, that God is in charge. He will direct our ways. It is a privilege to join in the fellowship of his suffering. And in that suffering, he never leaves us and he never abandons us. And he is that same God who will always supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Peter, I thank you for such a powerful, powerful testimony. May God use your new book, Imprisoned with ISIS, as a powerful way to waken a sleepy church, quicken our hearts for the persecuted, and to look around us and say, Lord, it's a mission field. Open the doors of opportunity. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, friends. We'll see you next time. 